0: Good evening, everybody. Today is Monday, November 23rd, 2020, and coming live from Four Seasons Total Landscaping in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and my, and my co-host is frozen. Actually, you were frozen on my side.
1: He's
2: <laughs> well, I was going to raise a really, <laughs> Man,
1: yeah. that's
0: but uh, no, Jason Booms, glad to be here. And, and and you are listening or watching to another stilted edition. Of <laughs> and uh, we have a great, we have a great
1: guest this evening. Um, he is a, uh, Jake, when did you graduate from Salisbury? I graduated from Salisbury. Um, I think I was the original COVID class. It was earlier this May in 2020. So, so one, wow. Okay.
0: Incidentally, my daughter graduated in 2019. Oh, wow. Look at that. Although, although she should have been a 2020. She went to high school in three, and she did high school in three years. But hey, we didn't talk about that in the pre-show. Damn it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> he is the new president of the... Of, Howard County's oldest and largest Democratic club, the Columbia Democratic Club, uh, after having a, uh, a a stellar career as a member of the Salisbury State, I'm sorry, Salisbury University College Democrats, uh, and a native of Howard County. His name is Jake Burnett. Jake, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you both for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, so so tell us a little bit, and
0: tell those out there in listener land um, a little bit about yourself beyond what I just said, and and how you got started in in politics, and and um, you know how you how you got to be president of CDC.
1: Yeah, well, uh, thank you, Bill. So, um, yeah, as uh, Bill mentioned, I was born and raised here in Howard County. Um, The house that I'm talking to you both in right now is the house that I've lived in my entire life here in Elkridge in the first district. Um, Graduated Howard High School in 2016. Um, Have uh, two sisters, mom and a dad. um, And, you know, grew up in a, I guess I would say upper middle class kind of economic background. So not too um, uncommon here in Howard County, but um, because of my, I guess, relative, Financial comfortability. You know, we weren't like rich, but we never really struggled in life. You know, we always had bills paid, at least to my knowledge. I always had food on the table. Um, I knew that I was going to be able to go to college um, later on. So, just because I lived, you know, somewhat of a comfortable life, at least in terms of like material conditions, um, my parents weren't very political uh, when I was growing up, or at least they never talked to me about it. So, really, for most of my upbringing, I was not political at all, and it wasn't until um, the 2016 presidential election that uh, kind of glued me um, to, to start paying attention to politics, and I, I think that was the case for a lot of young people, and just besides young people like how could the 2016 election uh, just the primary circus and in both parties really how could that not draw you in and and make you interested in politics Um, but particularly it was the Bernie Sanders uh, progressive movement progressive agenda um, that really spoke to me and kind of activated me and made me political and I think what resonated with his messaging and what he campaigned on was talking about economic inequality and wealth inequality and um, pointing out how we can have, you know, we're, we're the wealthiest nation to ever really exist in the history of humanity, to my knowledge, yet we can have so many poor people still in this country without healthcare, without the ability to go to college and whatnot. And um, just being made aware of those inequalities and then being able to see that I lived in Howard County, which I think is like the second or third wealthiest. Um, county and in the country, according to median income. So seeing those uh, inequalities like within my own community and, um, you know, in our county, that really resonated with me and like kind of activated me. And I did my freshman year at Towson, um, didn't really get politically involved. I was still learning, uh, you know, getting uh, more informed about policy, mostly national politics through like progressive YouTube channels and whatnot. And it wasn't until I transferred to Salisbury University, where I actually you know, got my feet wet with activism, first with the local Our Revolution and Progressive Maryland chapter there, and then through the college Democrats, uh, where I served three semesters as the co-president. And we were um, very openly progressive as a chapter. We did endorse Bernie in 2020. Um, we campaigned for uh, Democratic uh, candidates for Congress. Uh, governor state delegate and whatnot Um, and we built the chapter and that's kind of been my philosophy of if you want to get young people involved in the party you have to like not run from bold progressive policies like medicare for all like free college um, like ending the wars you have to like kind of embrace them with open arms and hope that that attracts people who've been traditionally left out of the democratic party and get them excited about the democratic party so that's kind of my theory of change that I had, I brought it to the college Democrats there and it was successful. We, we became the largest and most active college Democrats chapter in the state because it wasn't the most active organization in the first place. Um, so that was with, you know, younger college student Democrats who tend to be more progressive minded. So it wasn't, it was a pretty easy sell with them. Um, but now since I graduated in May, um, I came back, uh, first got involved with uh, a board of education campaign. Uh, Matthew Moliet in the first district um, was his campaign manager, and through that started to meet more people in the local Democratic community. And then through there, got involved with Columbia Dem Club, and then that led to me being elected president um, on September 20th, uh, with similar aspirations to bring things in a more progressive direction, but. Not exactly in the same way, given that I'm not now governing a bunch of you know 18 to 22 year old uh, you know progressives that want to start a revolution or whatever. So,
0: well, but but I have known the, the membership of the Columbia Democratic Club that want to start a revolution many times in the past. So uh, thank you for for the, the great uh, introduction and and biography. What I'm interested in is well, what many things I'm interested in, but. What what sort of conditions do you see that are similar um, between your environment in, in Salisbury and and Wicomico County and and Columbia and and Howard County? Uh, you know, CDC has generally been one of the more progressive of the Democratic clubs in in Howard County. Um, so, you know how do you, how do you, um, you know, how, how do you see things similar, uh, similar uh, to your prior situation or, or for that matter, different? You mentioned one obvious thing, which is demographic, but, but how else, how do you see this?
1: Yeah, I, I think I'll probably start with differences. That'll be a little bit easier. So um, the differences. yeah, other than just one was campus organizing, you know, specifically college students, which tend to trend more progressive. Um, and then this is, you know, all age ranges. I think the membership, uh, traditionally is maybe trended a little bit older, but you know, really caters to, to all ages. So there is that demographic district, but other than that, there is just, you know, besides it being a college versus a, a community organization, um, You know, I was in Salisbury on the rural conservative eastern shore, as opposed to being in Howard County, where I think we outnumber Democrats like two to one. So um, just the the general political cultures are are much different. Um, Also, the the Democratic Party community and sort of machine. And I don't mean that in that sense in a negative connotation, but just the local Democratic Party apparatus is much stronger here in howard county than it was in wacomico county um also just population wise there's a lot more people here in howard county so there wasn't really a whole lot of choice in uh wacomico county you had the wacomico county democratic club which sir you know represented the entire county you had the central committee like every other county has a central committee and you had the college democrats there was no young democrats there was no you know here in howard county we have the Ellicott City Dem Club, the Columbia Dem Club, the Thurgood Marshall Dem Club, the Hoco Young Dem. So you at least here have options that can sort of represent different constituencies within the Democratic Party for maybe different ideological strands, different demographics and whatnot. But there in Wacomago County, it was just, you had one or two clubs that kind of had to represent everybody. So they're, at least in college Democrats at first with me, there was sort of factions within the club of some people wanted to be more moderate. Some people wanted to be more progressive, but I think the good thing about Howard County with, you know, having four or five different clubs to choose from is that does sort of open lanes for, you know, some clubs can kind of take the more progressive lane. Some clubs can take the more moderate lane. You have different options like that. Um, so that's a huge key difference there. Um, In terms of similarities though, at the end of the day, regardless of what area you're in, um, when you look at polling of Democrats, progressive ideas are popular, regardless of demographic really, unless you're talking about very, very, very wealthy people, which we do have some of that in Howard County, but I don't think that makes up the base of our party here. But I think that ideas like Medicare for all, like Green New Deal, like ending the wars, I think that they have appeal on the Eastern shore. I think that they have appeal in Howard County. I think they have appeal in Baltimore City. Um, So in that sense, I'm not going to change my strategy too much because I think popular ideas are popular. Um, Maybe you have to market it a little bit differently. Um, But I I still very much uh, think that, um, you know, trying to make the, the group more progressive, take more of an activist role, will be met with positive reception and in fact our first two meetings so far under my leadership the first one we did was on um, a panel discussion on removing sros or removing police from schools which is kind of a controversial topic but very very much hotly debated right now not just in howard county but you know i think in the past maybe some groups would have wanted to stray away from that because it's too controversial but we had 50-plus people come to the meeting, which I think is you know pretty good turnout. Second meeting, um, also similarly controversial about uh, potentially uh, ending the ice contracts with the local counties that they have with the national ice to keep uh, ice detention centers here in the state, and then the counties make money off it. We had um, a discussion about potentially getting one of the three ice centers in the state out of Howard County, also controversial, but also had high turnout you know over 50 people again so um in terms of the similarities that that's what i think it is is that progressive ideas are going to be popular there they're going to be popular here and i hope we can continue to host interesting discussions that people want to have and hear perspectives that have been kind of left out of the debate a lot of time but i think bringing those voices in will continue to to bring new people into the party
0: Jason, I, I have some other questions, but I'm, I, I want to give you a sh- uh, chance to, to, to in, in, inquisit our, ga- our guest.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Uh, yeah, Jake. Uh, well, the first thing that leapt to mind uh, was your most recent uh, uh, stint with the Maliette campaign. And obviously that uh, didn't uh, turn out like uh, a lot of us would have wanted. But I do think there are two things to take out of that campaign. Number one, I think Mollyette ran better than a lot of folks expected, given uh, the perception of Christine Delmont Small's electoral strength. Number one. Number two, uh, I think the campaign was successful in essentially emptying her coffers, which is fantastic news because she'll have to start from uh, ground zero again if she decides to run for a higher public office. Uh, what was what was your big takeaway on the Mollyette effort?
1: So um, my big takeaway, and I meant to like make a big kind of public statement or speculation about this, because I think like the local Democratic community does need to have a serious discussion about this, because I think that it's really sad that we do live in like a two to one or so Democratic county, yet we have a conservative, you know, kind of Republican, maybe not in name, but, you know, conservative majority on the Board of Education that shows that there's a serious like failure on whether you want to blame it on the democratic party or the left in general the or the liberal or progressive left whatever you want to call it we need to mobilize better so that you know is kind of my takeaway is that you know especially in howard county i don't know how common this is with other counties in maryland but when i was on the eastern shore where they have city councils and city government here in howard county we have over three hundred thousand people yet we don't have any incorporated municipalities with like local elected government local city council so really the only elections we have to worry about are county council county executive state delegate, state senate and board of ed so the democratic party and the left needs to take these board of education seats and races as seriously as we take county council races whether they're nominally partisan or not because Because we lack the city council seats, which are usually used in other counties as stepstones to higher office, because we don't have the city council seats, the board of ed seats often seem to get used as stepstones into higher office. So just because these, you know, board of ed seats are nonpartisan, that doesn't mean that CDS is not now going to run against, you know, Courtney Watson for state delegate or, you know, Liz Walsh for, for county council or whatever race she may decide so we have to recognize that you know not even just in the short term but in the long term we need to like get prepared we need to recruit candidates ahead of time and not just pick you know kind of whoever showed up we need to get organized we need to get people with you know not just get good candidates but get good experienced campaign managers like to kind of guide them along the way because I appreciate you know what you said Jason about Matthew's campaign doing much better than everybody expected and I do like to think that I played a significant role in that as his campaign manager but at the same time you know I do have campaign experience I have been a campaign manager before but I don't really have wins like that under my belt I don't have a ton of establishment experience on you know winning successful campaigns so like there really should have already been An experienced person in that position who knew what they were doing more so than I, you know, so that a 22 year old recent graduate who doesn't have a ton of experience, it doesn't have to be like the guy that comes in and tries to save the day. So, you know, we tried, we tried the best with what we could given the resources that we had and given what we were going up against with CDS already having 20,000 plus in the bank. But, um, Really, if we had just prepared and done our due diligence months before, we might have been able to avoid kind of being in that position in the first place. So that's really one of the things I want to do over the next two years, because we do have an opportunity to win back um, a left wing majority on the board starting in 2022. And the two at large seats are up Is I want to get two strong progressives um, to run for those two seats, get them with good campaign managers. Um, and, you know, hopefully if, if we do have a fundraising disadvantage, um, overcome that with, uh, good organizing. So that's, that's my takeaway is we needed the left, you know, whether that's, um, the progressive organizations not associated with the democratic party or the democratic party community, we need to get our shit together. Uh, and we got to do it not at the last second. Um, so yeah.
2: Uh, completely makes sense. Uh, And I'm just curious, uh, before I kick it back up to bill, you did mention, uh as you were becoming um activated politically and the sanders campaign 2016 uh you also mentioned uh checking out uh, influencers on youtube anyone in particular that really stood out to you as someone getting involved in politics that you think is worth a really good listen uh, i'm always uh you know trying to find new folks to listen to or recommend yeah. people
1: good to know i didn't know i'm going to take that as you watch progressive youtube so that's good i would <laughs> them if i knew but uh mainly like the Probably the most influential person in my life, even more so than Bernie Sanders, is Secular Talk, Kyle Kalinsky, if you know him. Yeah, um, yeah he, he's, you know, super influential. Uh, secular Talk, um, Christo Aviles is a Canadian progressive, um, the Rational National um, Humanist Report um all all the bit ba- i don't have any like super super slept on people but um if you know the progressive youtube community um the, there there is uh i really wish that there was more like uh popular like black progressive commentators or like female progressive commentators i know tim black is a really good one here he actually lives in maryland too which is cool i think uh, he's in bethesda but he's a, a progressive youtuber um independent oh, agree yeah um mm-hmm. But yeah, so the check any of those people are are really great and have uh, a big and I think that's another reason why I was not um, plugged in politically sooner at a younger age is because I had never been introduced to independent media on YouTube. The only like news sources that I was aware of was traditional mainstream media like CNN or MSNBC or Fox, where it's just like kind of like a boring professional person talking very monotone being uh you know very uh just not entertaining um and then seeing that other side of uh of political information where you can make jokes you can be a normal person that really like you know uh, resonated with me more so than um traditional traditional media
2: well, I got you, and that's why a lot of those uh, blogs these days, like you know, Chapo Trap House, for example, yeah. <laughs> you know, which I I I don't live, actually listen to blogs that much, but I understand they put on an, an engaging show.
1: Yeah, their their podcast, that Chapo biggest, I think most funded, uh, Patreon podcast on the internet. So they, these guys have huge influence, and um, that that's like kind of that perspective that on, it's a very online perspective because those voices have been shut out from legacy media on television and whatnot and that's the perspective i feel like so many people are represented by that perspective and have just kind of tuned out of the democratic party because they feel ignored and that's the perspective that i want to bring to these democratic clubs that i feel like is usually kind of lacking you know
2: so understood bill
1: Uh, so uh,
0: I apologized before. Sidney Powell was in the sex shop next door (laughs) playing with my signal, so I froze for a second, and I hope it doesn't happen again, but uh, Was Brian Kemp
2: also there?
0: uh, I I believe uh, he was in one of the nickel booths, (laughs) but uh, I don't know, but um, um, Jake what I mean, you just mentioned, you know, a, a lot of thinkers and a lot of um, progressive influencers who influence you. And I'm not sure, I mean, it's kind of augments the, the gravity of, of my question. Um, my premise as I'm going into my, good Lord, fourth decade of being involved in politics is that Democrats state and locally have not really begun to fully grasp that you just can't be a democrat and you just can't appeal to democrats i think what i heard you say in your answer to jason's question was that you very much understand as i'm becoming aware of that there is a difference between democrats progressives liberals left Yes, we are all talking about people who think the same things, but for some reason, not everybody's identifying with the Democratic Party. You mentioned before the whole you know, moderate to, to liberal bend, um, you know, and, and, I, and I know because we experienced this, there was so much resistance uh, within even progressive circles or Democrat circles using the terms is difficult on on activating the the machinery towards uh, candidates for board of education with progressive values. So how do you use the forum that is CDC to start to advocate that, to start to be that agent for change, to start to maybe Make that revolution that that you know you were successful in being part in for Salisbury. So I guess my question before you talked to Jason just now was, what are your main goals as being president of the CDC? And I guess what I'm refining that to is, how do you see how you can use CDC to be an agent of that change that you want to bring about?
1: Yeah, no, it, it's a great question, and really, I think. Um, you know, one of the best ways you can sort of make any sort of change being in that specific position that I'm in of being the leader of some democratic organization, whether it be a club or a central committee, or whatever is I think, just to use that platform to advocate for bold things that change the accepted conventional wisdom. Um, And what I mean by that is, using an example of when I was still with the college Democrats at Salisbury University, the accepted conventional wisdom is that you can't endorse in a primary. That That is absolutely nuts to endorse in a primary. We're, we're not supposed to take positions in a primary. You might alienate people if you, and then like the, the whole thing, it was just like presented of like, this has never been done before. Like it's unthinkable to do this. And if you do this, the world's gonna end because it's just so, unheard of and like there was so much pushback but then you know i just kept saying no this is how you get people excited we're gonna do this we're gonna do this this isn't against the rules we're allowed to do this why would we not do this we can look at polls and see that like you know these ideas are popular this candidate's popular with the the group that we're representing let's just do let's just give it a try and then we did it and the world didn't end and it was popular and people did come and then it actually made us stand out because we were doing things that other clubs were not doing. And then it was actually like, we were doing something worth talking about. And then it was seen like, and then other chapters start to see that. And then they're like, Hey, they did it. It worked out. The world didn't end. Maybe we should do that. And then you can see the influence rub off on other chapters and you, and then suddenly the thing that a couple months ago was seen as like forbidden that you can't do this or the world's going to end suddenly now it's like seen as like almost weird to not do it. And like, we've just completely changed like the norms of of, of things like, so like um, another example, something more recent was, um, you know, and with my exec board, you know, I want to be clear when I'm talking about, you know, my plans, these are like what I personally would like to see that being said, I'm not the dictator of, of the club. You know, we do have an executive board and we rule by consensus. So um, I don't always get everything, you know, completely my way, but um, another example of us, like kind of changing the, the conventional wisdom and having like a measurable, tangible effect that I think will have a hugely positive impact on this community for years to come is, you know, there was some dissension within our club On breaking the norm of, I guess, in the past, the clubs had or central committee had never really endorsed in the judicial circuit court race because it, uh, depending on who you ask, it's technically nonpartisan. Um, So it's not like the central committee or the clubs have any obligation to endorse. But still, I thought there is, you know, especially with this recent election cycle with Quincy Coleman, you know, Quincy registered Democrat, won the Democratic primary. His opponent, John uh, Cuchno, uh registered Republican as recently as May of 2020, uh, appointed by Hogan. I thought it was very clear that there is one left-wing candidate, there's one right-wing candidate, and that the Democratic organizations, just like with Board of Education, should you know probably get off their butts and and do something and try you know especially at the time Ruth Bader Ginsburg had just died. Like we need good local judges now more than ever. Um, so. I was thinking that's like the obvious common sense thing that all the democratic organizations and leaders should be doing is like advocating for Quincy Coleman to get in there, but it would because it had just not been done and they wanted to defer to the sitting judge who was already the incumbent. There was a lot of pushback, but we just kind of, we kept fighting at it to get the Columbia Dem Club to endorse Quincy Coleman, which no other Dem Club had done. No central committee had done. There was a lot of pushback, but we just kept, pushing for it, pushing for it, pushing for it because we felt it was the right thing to do. And then we eventually did vote on it actually at the same meeting I was elected president. And then we announced the endorsement online and then the announcement of that endorsement, just making it clear that Quincy was aligned with democratic values. Suddenly that put like a sort of pressure on other democratic organizations or democratic elected officials who had previously align themselves with Kuchno or distance themselves with Quincy suddenly now they had a pressure of like everybody's knows that Quincy's the Democratic dude and if I align myself with the other guy it's going to make me look bad and you know I've I don't know for 100% certain but I've heard things that suggest this may be the case that the Columbia Dem Club endorsement of Quincy Coleman was a big thing that led to Quincy being put on that Democratic Party sample ballot that, you know, considering he won by like less than 5% percentage points, it's very conceivable to think that being on that sample ballot could have put him over the edge. So that's what I want to do is just set the example for other clubs. And like, there is a way to put pressure on people by just calling them out in a very combative way. And I've done that in the past. And there's a way to be, you know, more strategic about it and more diplomatic about it. So I think that might be the way i I go about it more moving forward but um you know different different goals call for different tactics like for example you know that was for getting somebody to endorse a certain candidate in a race but now with the upcoming legislative session um there might be some kind of controversial bills like repealing the law enforcement officers bill of rights or whatever that you know i want to urge certain legislators to go in a certain way on so you know um, finding a way to do that without alienating them is going to be extremely important I think even just hosting these panels and like having certain panelists on present from a certain way is a a way of putting soft pressure and changing that discussion so that suddenly a legislator like feels like they can't take a position against a certain thing because everybody is now accepted that like this is the right Position to have on this issue. So,
0: so I know we have about five or so minutes left, and I want to recognize Jason again. I, I will let you know, Jake, that in 1996, the Central Committee did endorse candidates for for Howard County Circuit Court, and I am totally and I am at once totally polishing my apple because I was vice chair of the Central Committee at that time. And then I remembered how old you are, and I'm sitting here thinking. Dear Lord, he wasn't even born. But uh, but I am very, very happy that uh, you helped uh, lead that because same was the case with the school board elections. Uh, we had endorsed candidates before. It was the thing that we did in the 90s. And, uh, you know, that's a whole long story. We don't need to get into tonight. But, but uh, those people saying, oh, we've never done this. We can't do it. Uh, B.S. Yes, they can. Anyway, Jason.
2: Yeah, I just had a a quick question. Um, We've been talking a lot about local, which is great and makes a lot of sense, Uh, but just thinking nationally for a moment, whether it's taking a look at the early picks of the uh, soon to be Biden administration, or just thinking about the fact that the Democratic Party really didn't have a meaningful primary in the 2020 election cycle for all intents and purposes. Uh, Everyone decided to shut it down and we we came up with someone who won, fantastic. (laughs) Um, But just given the direction of the Democratic Party, do you think, uh, how do you think that's going to line up uh, with your vision of the Democratic Party uh, locally in particular?
1: Yeah, um, honestly, I, I was a lot, I bit my tongue a lot more this general election cycle than last time about my discontent with the Democratic nominee, Joe Biden. I was not thrilled with him. Of course, I think he's better than Trump, so I'm glad that he won, but yeah, I'm not thrilled by his more moderate, um, return to normalcy of how things were under Obama, which they're completely like just missing that. Like Trump didn't just come out of nowhere. Trump is like a product of that style of leadership and the discontent that that creates in like the American people. So, um, it does seem like the democratic establishment has not learned a single lesson, unfortunately, and is going to, um, make the same mistakes, but the reason why I'm actually kind of optimistic um, is because I think just like Obama's style of governance, and in my you know in my opinion, its failure to produce meaningful change in people's lives that produced unhappiness and produced Trump. In my opinion, it also produced Bernie. So I think just like that produced Bernie, I think Biden similarly being in this position where dude, you're, this is the middle of a pandemic. You're elected to kind of save the day. I'm sorry, I don't think he's going to do it. I think he might do a couple of Band-Aid reforms. And I hope that people recognize that inaction and that failure and that we do need to go in more of the Bernie Sanders direction. And we have, the left has a real opportunity here in 2024. And the fact that like Joe Biden's probably just going to be a one-term president, given his age, we have a huge opportunity to actually run a good strong left-wing candidate against, you know, probably Kamala Harris or whoever it, it may be that that the establishment tries to run in 2024. But we can run an AOC, we can run a Nina Turner-like candidate in 2024 and win back the presidency. And I was actually really hoping that Dems would win the Senate in 2020 so that they can't even use that as an excuse to say oh well you can't blame biden for not getting anything done the republicans were blocking it in the senate so that's you know in terms of really short term that's something the columbia democratic club is doing a drive for right now is postcarding for um the georgia senate races so that we can at least hopefully win those seats get a tie in the senate have kamala harris be the the tiebreaker as the vice president and then um the dems really have no excuses to like not um, you know, govern. And if, if they don't, that opens the door for uh, the left to, to take over. So I'm not encouraged by any of the administration picks so far. Uh, I see Bernie and, and Elizabeth Warren are getting iced out. I could have told you that, you know, a year and a half ago, um, that that would have happened. But um, it's all up to the left to capitalize on. Um, or, or maybe I'm wrong. And Joe Biden really is the most progressive do whatever, like you know. Some people are saying maybe he impresses me. You know, um, we'll see. I'm I'm open to being proven wrong there. Awesome, thanks, Bill. Back to you.
0: Well, we're we're about we're, we're about ready to wind up. But one last question I have, Jake, which is, you know, the when as we're going. <clears throat> pardon me, as we're going in towards the state and local election cycle. I know you mentioned the uh, school board races, but, uh, and I'm also not sure. I mean, I know CDC is a one-year term. I think they still had a term limit. So I'm not sure if you see yourself as CDC president when it's time for that 22 election cycle or not, but kind of, you know, give me your, your, your blue sky, give me your place where you would wanna see CDC be as the uh, 2022 election cycle comes out in earnest? Because those, those candidates and campaigns are going to start coming out of the woodwork soon.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. And um, honestly, assuming that, you know, I'm still new into my terms, it's only been like three months, but assuming I continue to do a good job in this role, I probably would seek reelection if there, there seems to be support for that. And um, in terms of what I want us to be like in 2022, Um, you know, not just for the two board of ed seats, but also just for the county council and midterm elections is, um, you know, I was talking about the disorganization of the left. It was really up to with all the board of ed candidates, kind of just like up to the campaigns themselves to get their own volunteers. And, you know, occasionally organization would provide us something here or there. But when I looked at Christina Delmont, small supporters, when I looked at, you know, even Coochino or and Palmer, supporters, they had teams and shifts and alternating shirts and alternating signs. And like you know, you'd wear a sign that had Kuchno on one side and then CDS on the other side. And they had a full staff of volunteers. And it's because they had Kappa, the Chinese American Parent Association, they had the Howard County Republican Club. They had all these, even though they're a minority party, I don't mean racial minority. I mean just in terms of like population, there's less of them in Howard County, but they were so much more organized, um, that they, they, they out organized us on that. So that's, I I basically want the Columbia democratic club to be like the Kappa of, of the left, or, you know, um, I want us to be like, if, if there's, if, if there's one centralized club that has like a full like list of volunteers and like a schedule of like, who's going to be where at what time. And, you know, we have like 50 plus people just willing to do that. That's what I want us to be of just super, a well-oiled machine that the right clearly had for board. I mean, even though Cezanne Palmer lost, what she did with her campaign was, was impressive. Like you can't deny that, that like Jen, you know, being uh, not, you know, not being the underdog really, because she's the incumbent. The fact that Cezanne was able to make it that close and it was because of their money and their organizational skills. Now, money, it's always going to be the left is always going to be a, a disadvantage for money, not having more money than the right. But we have no excuse to be out organized. So I want us to just serve that role on the left and kind of be.
0: That is that is <laughs> terrific. That is terrific. Any Jake, anything in closing?
1: Um, no, I, I think just, um, you know, search up the Columbia Democratic Club on Facebook, like our Facebook page. Um, follow us on twitter all that good stuff become a dues paying member get your your right to vote within the club and have a say in in what we do and just be on the lookout for we have a december 9th georgia senate candidates doing some democratic trivia that would be on our facebook page and then in the new year just be on the lookout for uh relevant state talks on things like the legislative session what's coming up and like police reform, um, ending the law enforcement officer's bill of rights, Anton's law, housing relief, um, lot, lot to be talked about with this Dems not calling a special session last year. There's a lot that needs to be addressed. So there's gonna be no shortage of things for us to talk about.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jake, Jake, I'm, I'm very happy that we got this chance to talk tonight. And, and uh, CDC has had a long history of, of uh, friendly provocation from the left. So so anytime you would like to sit down and talk to an old fart about uh, what we used to do back before cell phones, you know, we, we can have some coffee or, or something else and, and, and do that.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate adding to that history and I appreciate you all having me. I do just want to say one thing before I go one, follow me on Twitter at Jake Burdett underscore B-U-R-D-E-T-T. And then also Jason, um messaged me a question because he wasn't sure if i'd be okay answering it publicly i am okay answering it publicly he says uh he's asking me about my opinion on the movement for people's party which is basically a movement for like a third party led by a bunch of like you know legitimate progressive leftists like cornell west um nina turner um some really great people that i support and like yeah i love it in theory but i do I still need its proponents to explain to me how it's going to be viable and why it's going to be different than the green party, which stands for all the same, you know, bold progressive values, but like how they're going to get over the structural hurdles against third parties in this country. So I'm not against the, the people's party. I support Nick Brandon and the people working on it. I, I hope to get proven wrong, but I still view the most real, you know, how many third party candidates, won congressional, Challenges in 2020 and 2018, and how many justice democrats like AOC and Jamal Bowman won in 2018 and 2020. That's why I still view taking over the party from within as more viable. But I encourage people to, you know, inside outside strategy. I'm um, very encouraging of that. So
2: back in the interest move, gotcha. All right. <laughs> yes.
1: Um. Cool. Well, thank you both again for having me on. I appreciate oh, it's it. It's our pleasure, Jake. I hope
0: we can, I hope we can do this again on the podcast.
1: Yep. Sounds good. Well, you, you gentlemen have a nice night and stay safe.
0: Awesome. Jason, you do the same, sir. Jason, you have anything in closing?
1: Uh, not much other than if you want to get some
2: uh, really neat shirts for the holidays, look no further than Red Molotov. Red Molotov. Labor. I like their old work. Nice. So, Give some, uh, give some good, uh, good earned pounds actually, because it's based in the UK. But it's a fantastic place for your, uh, for your gift, uh, giving interest for your political friends.
0: Well, well, that 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 was a terrific plug. Uh, I <laughs> did absolutely nothing for for that plug, uh, but I, I have a a a. a Strange looking, uh, little mole faced man uh, with uh, something bluish black running down either side of his face. So I I believe I'm going to head out and come back to Maryland from Philly. All right. Good move. All right. Well, (laughs) happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And out there in listener and or viewer land. And uh, we will talk to you on the flip side of Turkey Day. For Jason Booms, my name is Bill Woodcock. Stay safe, stay healthy, wear the damned mask, and you have been watching another edition of Forward Maryland. Take care.